got FA Cup drama, we've got transfer window drama, we've got managerial drama, we've got two esteemed guests to talk us through it all. Joining me, Matt Froelich, on the One Football Podcast is Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. And Podrick Whelan. Hello. I dare say it's been a it's been a day full of laughs in the office today, so I'm hoping this, pos- this podcast continues on that theme. Um, how much of a laugh are we having at Everton, Joel, with Sean Dyche announced as manager within the last hour or so? I would say the past week has been it's been something else. I mean, Everton are a club that have a lot of drama, attract a lot of drama, and attract a lot of laughs um, in the best of times. But the past week has just been a been full, like every sort of forty five minutes with something new. It's been brilliant. <laughs> Sadly, I think the laughs are about to end and about to, are over because uh, I do actually think Sean Dyche might be the best possible replacement they could have got for uh, for Frank Lampard, um, which is very concerning when. All you got left right on your season is Everton getting relegated. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I am very concerned. Like he's a, he get he was very solid with Burnley for years. He made you get get them solid, make them a very hard team to beat. And um, I do think you'll uh, you'll make Everton a very hard team to beat. So sadly, the last end now, Matt. I was going to say, you know, on WhatsApp when it's got your most used emojis as the most recent ones, yours would all be like. Laughing faces or different different laughing faces, just basically tears all round. Oh, it's a happy guy, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, well, in that case, that's an excellent place to start. There's been lots of news going on today uh, in the transfer world. We've got some reaction to the cup drama at the weekend, of course. Um, but Sean Dyche, we've heard from you, Joel. You think he's just about the man to keep them up. Podrick, do you share his view or do you think, that you think they're still going down? No, I probably do as well. I think when we were on last time, we spoke just after Lampard got sacked and we talked about how he was the one that seemed to make the most sense uh, when Bielsa was getting linked and you just thought it's just, we just don't have enough time if you bring a guy like Bielsa in in January to, to shake things up and implement his style of football. It just seemed like that was a risk that was far too big. Um, I mean, it looks like they tried to get him though anyway to follow on with Joel's uh, hilarity. They did try to get the else in the door. They obviously haven't, but I think Deitch is the is the sensible one. Um, I think I said last time. I just think that they've got enough good players in that squad, and they've got a bit of money to spend now in the next few days as well. After Anthony Gordon going for I think it was like forty million to Newcastle, which I think is a great bit of business. I mean, they could have got more obviously if they'd sold him last summer when his stock was higher, but. I mean, he's a guy I find quite a frustrating and consistent player. So if they can invest that wisely and not have to invest it fast as well, obviously, then, yeah, I could see um, Sean Dyche doing the business permanently. But everyone always talks about Dyche being able to sort a team out hard to beat this, that, and the other. What, what if it's just the case of Everton having woeful defenders? Like, he's, he's not suddenly going to turn around and turn, like, wherever they've got Tarkowski and well, Keane, this, that, the, the other. Well, he got the best out of Tark- Tarkovsky <laughs> before, though, didn't he? At Burnley, he might, he might be the James Tarkovsky whisperer, so <laughs> might transform him and he become Franco Baresi of Everton. It, it's not just what he'll do to an individual player as well, Matt. I think that the fingers with Burnley, they, they defended brilliant as a team, well, in in their peak, should we say, under him, because obviously they, they do tail off in the, in, in the last part mm. of his, uh, his time there, and, and he, he only gets three wins before he's sacked in April, so you know, there, there was a limit to, to how good he was at, at Burnley, but I think he got everything he could out of that team, and he he made the whole, like, so he made the whole team a unit from, from back to front, and, you know, we, we I remember sort of playing Burnley game as a Liverpool fan and watching Liverpool trying to break them down, and sometimes they got the better of us, because 
you just couldn't do it because the strikers defended well from the front and then before you know you got defenders who I think central defenders look at their best when they are when you see them head so much away and, and putting last gap challenges in because defending on a six yard box and that's what his Burnley team did and and, and I think to be fair you talk about the quality of defenders I do think as Podrick mentioned there Tarkowski is a capable one and I think Connor Cody is as well and you know, and, and Yerry Mina to an extent. And early on in the season, Everton were quite good at defending and had a really good record until it tailed off quite recently. So there, there are bits for Dyche to work with right there. I, I think it's the going forward, the other end, that's going to be their issue. They have to get somebody in. Obviously, you guys took away their one and only hope in on out Dan Juma. Thank <laughs> yeah. you for that, by the way. Um, that would have uh, would help them no end. But uh, I think that's what they that's good with where their season's going to lie on if they can get someone in before the end of the day on Tuesday. Well, well, I dare say with what's been going on this lunchtime, there'll be a lot more activity tomorrow. Um, we'll actually save transfers to the end, though, because we'll, we'll do a whole section talking about all the, the ingoings and outgoings. Uh, we'll jump back a day, though, um, to the FA Cup this weekend, which saw Wrexham draw 3 all with Sheffield United. It, I'm going to switch that around. Sheffield United drew 3 all with Wrexham. <laughs> You know there's a difference. There's a difference, and uh, Sheffield United got a last-minute equaliser. Um, for me, it was one of the greatest cup ties I've ever seen. Do you think, Joel, it should have gone to extra time and penalties, like just to round off a dramatic day rather than pausing for another 10 days or so? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not just that one. I just think in general, I think up, you know, the need for replays has maybe outlived its purpose now. But if you talk about that game specifically... Definitely, because imagine you've just gone through watching a six-goal filler, and you know with, with the, the crowd the way it was, and how, how noisy it was, and you know how invested everyone who was watching it at the time was as well. And then you've not, you know, maybe not even extra time. To you imagine you just go straight to penalties on there. You've got the the whole whole drama of that as well. So yeah, in terms of replays in general, I think obviously it serves a purpose for lower league clubs like like the likes of Wrexham in terms of giving them, you know. Gate receipts and that kind of thing, and you know if they get a big draw and, and they you know they manage to go back to a Premier League club and and uh, share the gate receipts from that, then they, you know that serves a purpose for them. But I don't know. It, it does take away something from it because as as good as that game was yesterday, the replay at Bramall Lane just not gonna have the the same type of effect. And as much I don't want to sort of be a Debbie Downer on things, but it wouldn't surprise me if Sheffield United managed to make that a bit more of a comfortable night for themselves at their place with their fans behind them. You know what I mean? That's exactly what I was thinking. If the replay comes around and it's like, I don't know, two or three nil Sheffield United and it's just sort of a drab affair that you'd expect from a second division team facing a fifth division team, it will completely ruin the whole magic of the first the first round. I'd, I'd hate it. I'm not a massive that, fan of it. You still have last night, mate. You still have the memory yeah. of last night. It's fine. Good job. I taped it. Um, as for Podrig, are you on board with this, with this Wrexham story? Do you like a bit of Hollywood mixed in with your football? Yes, absolutely. Although <laughs> I think I don't think it's so trendy um, within like the the lower leagues. I I think there'd be a lot of non-league fans and fans of other teams in and around Wrexham that um, yeah probably want a Sheffield United five six seven nil win <laughs> because this Hollywood behemoth in the league. And I think a lot of people took a lot of joy as well last season out of them getting to the playoff final and then not winning it with all that they've spent and I think it would be a bit of a disaster if after all this and all the hype behind them if they didn't go up again this season I mean that could things could get really sticky for them but uh, for me personally uh, yeah I'm I'm all for it like who, who doesn't want to see Ryan Reynolds 
and Wrexham, <laughs> Rob McElhenney and Wrexham. I mean, yeah, it's like that. That's that's what made the tie what it was yesterday. I mean, you, it would if you didn't have that side of it. I mean, nobody would be talking about that tie because Wrexham wouldn't have been in that position without the money. Like some of the players they've got, um, like Paul Mullen, obviously the top scorer, just a guy that's far too good for that level. They wouldn't have these kind of players, and yesterday we wouldn't have had the day we did. It wasn't for Hollywood, so I'm all for it. We need more actors. Brad Pitt, what's he doing? Get him involved at Eastleigh or something. I don't know. We've got to get these guys in. Drama. Brad Pitt to Eastleigh. You heard it here first. I, I, I didn't, you know, I haven't actually watched the series, but I think I probably should because it sounds really interesting and I'm all on board with it. I don't know how Ryan Reynolds came to Wrexham. Like, how did he even know that, that where Wrexham is? I'd be amazed if Brad Pitt knew where Eastleigh well, was. No offence to uh, I think it was more Rob McElhenney that came across it. Oh, okay. I think there's a famous uh, famous quote in the show where Rob McElhenney says that he's got movie, uh, he's got TV show money, but he needed movie star money to uh, invest in a football club. And what's Ryan Reynolds? It's not movie star money. <laughs> I actually haven't even watched It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia either. Never mind football anymore. Your next few weeks are <laughs> sorted with that. Yeah. Guys, if the next few week podcast while Dan's away is just me recapping episodes of It's Always Sunny, then you never know, that. a few people will be in for it. Yeah, I'm all for it. Oh my god, amazing. Now I actually did find it was a it was a stunning game. I had everything, red cards, penalty calls. The red um, card, by the way, I mean not to here we the, go. The Hollywood angle of it and all that, but that that is the most baffling red card decision. So what? I've... From what I saw, they had the second replay where the um, defender was like, "Oh, ref, what's he doing?" And the commentator, because I was watching it on German TV, the commentator was like, "Oh, yeah, you're seeing pictures from the second call, like it wasn't actually what happened first time around." And they never showed it. But they never. So yeah. I still don't even know what happened. Yeah. So maybe they'd do something wrong, but if the images. If that was the only thing that happened, the images that we saw, then it's not even a foul let alone a red card. It's just crazy. Maybe but, maybe he literally just said, it's always sunny shit and I've never seen Deadpool. And that was it. Well, that would be the opposite. <laughs> he helped Brexit out with a red card. If anything, oh, yeah, true. he's a big Deadpool fan. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Well, we start talking about conspiracies and, and Hollywood and... Lower league football, God knows where we'll end up. Um, but another FA Cup game of the weekend. And I'm, you know, when Liverpool lose, when the FA Cup holders lose, sometimes it's tempting to call it a shock. But I'm sorry, Joel, this wasn't a shock for me. This was the second defeat to Brighton in 15 days. And I could tell that you're not so particularly keen to talk about it. So what we're <laughs> going to do is talk about it in depth <laughs> and make you relive, relive everything. Um, we, we were chatting about it a little bit before. And you said that Matoma's goal was eerily similar to Danny Welbeck's a few weeks ago. Um, panic. Uh, yeah, because Welbeck's sort of uh, in the um, in the league game between the pair, which obviously Brighton win three 0 Welbeck sort of chips it in the way that Matoma does yesterday over. I would describe a flailing Joe Gomez <laughs> before uh, volleying it into the into the bottom corner. But I think that does take away maybe. The, the quality of Matoma's goal yesterday mm. that, that was a different level to it. I mean, well, Welbeck sort of again a very good goal, but do, does it sort of into different moves? Like Matoma sort of turns his body while sort of 
I don't know, like, like it's kind of like spinning figurine. I'm not sure how he does it. It's, it's, it's remarkable seeing that yesterday. I don't know if um, Ailes saw uh, Victor Siemens go over Napoli and Roma yes. uh, later mm-hmm. on that night. It's similar type of thing where he just sort of moves without actually moving. It's like his legs are uh, independent from his body. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was obviously incredible. Um, I mean, he's some player in this. I'm, I'm not sure how they managed to pick him up and what scouting network they're using, but he's been remarkable since, you know, sort of coming in sort of September, October with the odd sub-appearance and then Trossard sort of loses his place at late December, doesn't he? And then Matoma's mm. gone from strength to strength. I mean, I'd quite like to read his um, the supposed dissertation he's done on dribbling because he yeah. looks like a master at it. I mean, even before the goal, yesterday, the winner yesterday on, uh, on Gomez, he... He, he did it to you know, Trent, Alexander Arnold, uh, Canate, Mata, uh, sorry, not Mata, but um, uh, Thiago as well, sort of sent them for, for the echoes. So um, he's, he's phenomenal to watch, honestly. A lot of fun. He had that outside of the boot cross, didn't he? He did earlier first half. Yeah. In the second half, where Alisson made a save from Solly March. Solly March. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Unbelievable. And the fact that they've sort of plucked him out of nowhere for such a small fee is there's there's definite Riyad Mahrez, Riyad Mahrez vibes around it. Um, I was messaging yesterday with a Liverpool mate of mine who said that he'd love, sorry, he needs to move to a big club in the summer. Matoma, not my mate. Um, and he's, uh, Podri, do you think Matoma needs to leave? Um, or does he just become another team's Jack Grealish? I mean, there seems to be a top six, uh, what's the word, sort of, Right, that oh, any other player that's good in the Premier League will just take him. Well, are, are Brighton not a big club? They, I mean, they're above Liverpool, Chelsea, they've beat Liverpool, uh, but they're not bigger than Liverpool, obviously. But I just mean, would would he look at a move like that as where he could go to a bigger club and maybe sit on the bench? And like Joe mentioned as well, he's he's not been in the Brighton team all that long. I mean, he looks obviously like an unbelievable talent. Um, the Japanese market works very well for some, I know that for sure. Um, he, he does look, yeah, and he's got great technique. Um, he's really exciting to watch, but I mean, he's also not been in the team that long. But then Caicedo's not been in the team that long, and he's getting touted for 70, 80, 90 million pound moves. So, but I would, I would just like to see these guys stay where they are and see see how far they can bring uh, Brighton. Because when Potter went, you kind of worried, but the Zerbies come in kept it going. Trossard, like Joe said, out of the team, they've just replaced him somebody better. I'm sure if Caicedo goes, um, they'll replace him as well. Maybe Billy Gilmore will finally step up and <laughs> become the player we've all been waiting for. But, I mean, they'll find someone. They always do. It's incredible. This this is my question. So, if Cucurella was, what was he, 50 million? Cucurella, 52? 45, I think. Or 50, or maybe yeah. 45. And then... Casado is potentially, we'll talk about a little bit later, up 70, 80. How much does that make Matoma? Like, it's just standard to whack a 100 million price tag on everyone these days. Yeah, works for him. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, from the Brighton side, sorry, Brighton, Liverpool side of things, though, um, Fabinho, the face, the face of a lucky man, Joel, after that tackle on, uh, on Ferguson. Um, are we still questioning how on earth he didn't get sent off? It's not even, for me, it's not even the referee that's made the mistake. It's VAR who've got like 1,700 cameras to look at it who still haven't overturned it. I know. I said to Podrick earlier, if they just did the VAR on Fabinho's face rather than the actual tackle, <laughs> they would be able to send him off on there because that, that's all you'll need to know. It's 
it looked bad at the time. It's one of them that's got worse every time you look at it yeah. after you've seen the first instance because it, the, it doesn't get the actual first. It goes in first, doesn't end, and doesn't get the, fat, uh, the tackle or the ball. And then it's sort of like someone who's not played football before, the way he tries to just go through another human being through his leg. And I, I just... He had some five minutes of it. He's only been on the pitch of, I think, less than five minutes at the time. He, oh, it was less than two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> comes on as a sub. He has a, a, a horrendous first touch uh, as soon as he comes on, and then he gives a pass away, and then he does that. I mean, it's. I'm, I'm not here to shout conspiracy theories about a player, but he, he sounded like he wanted to stay on the bench and maybe you know, keep warm, I'd say. And then. Uh, he's um, Fabinho has been sort of the embodiment of Liverpool season. I mean, let's say that's him. It's the embodiment of Liverpool season because you know, Liverpool were quite solid yesterday until the second half, and then as soon as they make the subs to bring Henderson on the 60th minute, it goes downhill from there, and then Fabinho comes on, and then chaos reigns from there. And Fabinho has gone from being probably you know arguably one of the best number sixes in in the world to somebody you can't get a game past an 18-year-old lad uh, at the moment, and, and deservedly so as well. So I think I was um, I was looking the other day at the amount of teams left in the competition in the FA Cup from the Premier League, and I think 11 teams have been knocked out so far. Um, and I think West Ham could make it 12 if they lose to Derby on Monday night. Um, do you think this represents like a massive opportunity for the likes of Manchester United who won over the weekend, Manchester City and even Spurs, I'm going to say it. I know you're going to laugh at me, Spurs, just a little bit to actually go on and win this. Is it is it becoming that little bit more uh, achievable or do you think it's also exciting that there's going to be maybe a few smaller teams that are going to make it further? What do you think, well, Podrick? Man United are the only, only Premier League team still with a chance of doing a quadruple, I believe, this season. <laughs> <laughs> Not saying that they will, but uh, they are. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think they're starting. I mean, with Arsenal going out, um, I think something had to give in that one against Man City, obviously. But yeah, they're still, they're still it's quite still a, mm. a top heavy uh, competition. It would be great to see a, a Fleetwood or a Wrexham, someone like that, go a little bit further. I mean, I can't say I get all that excited by the prospect of. Burnley or Sheffield United, no offence, going far, but the one's a little bit lower down, your Fleetwoods and your Wrexham, but it'd be nice to see, but yeah, I think it is a bit, uh, like I said, top heavy with the Premier League teams, I think they'll probably get, if the draw works out that way, maybe a Tottenham, Man City final, something like that, Man City, Man United, that'd be quite fun, because I think there's been an FA Cup final between those two, not that I remember. City um, United, probably at yeah, some stage. If you've, we mentioned Brighton, but if, if you are Brighton, you should be looking at this as an opportunity That's to. Yeah, true. To we, that was disrespectful a, of me. <laughs> I go and grab a trophy because, like, they're obviously on, on some journey at the moment where, you know, they could end up finishing in top six and, and with the Zaley so they've been, you know, one of the best teams in the league all season. And, but I think with them, if you imagine having Dales at Wembley on top of that as well, that that's incredible. And from the fifth round is when the FA Cup becomes something that's. A minor inconvenience, and then it becomes a journey. Then it becomes a bit of an adventure. And I think, you know, when you when you win a fifth round tie, it becomes okay. You're one game away from Wembley. Then this is something mm. for us. This, this could be our season, and then this could be something to to remember. And I think if you're Brighton, and there's a good chance they could get a very good draw in the next round because, as you say, there eleven Premier League teams have gone out. They could get a you know a Championship League one tie in, in the fifth round and think, okay, this is it. This is our route to the final, and you know. There could be something brewing for a sort of 
you know, below Premier League, uh, sorry, below Man United, Spurs type of team. So, um, yeah, interesting to say. Winning the FA Cup is very nice. I'll recommend it to anyone. Um, I did actually forget to mention, I forget to ask you, Joel, uh, on the Liverpool-Brighton game just then. I skipped ahead of myself getting all excited about the prospects of Spurs going far in the FA Cup. Don't make them um, anymore, man. Come on, don't be cruel. <laughs> Andy Robertson said that Liverpool have gotten worse. And I just wanted to know, what does worse look like from here? Like, what is the ultimate sort of, you know what, I've completely had enough of Liverpool end to the season? Because uh, at the minute, it looks like the only chance of anything is the Champions League. And you've got Real Madrid in the last 16. <laughs> uh, if we get beat by Everton in two weeks, um, and, uh, and, you know, there's the answer. <laughs> I knew you were going to no, say that. <laughs> you know, Robertson, he gets asked that question and he, and he goes, you know, they had, they had the World Cup break and the chance for a reset and you're thinking they're going to come back and, you know, we're going to see a bit more of the Liverpool from last season, you know, maybe go on a bit of a win and run and, and they they have, they look like they have the sort of regression there. It, it's weird saying that because of the result yesterday, but I do think the last two, three performances have been shade better than what we've seen in the sort of, like, let's say, the Brentford game and, and the, the, the Brighton League fixture, but um, it, it, it now looks like a team that's Forgotten how to win, but also forgotten how to stay in games and forgotten how to just ride games out. And it's a team that's really low in confidence. And there's, there's, you could do a whole podcast on Liverpool season, Liverpool struggles. There's no, <laughs> there's no sort of single answer to a complex question on that. Um, and we would be here for hours, but I think with once you sort of go on a bad run and your confidence gets low, any blow or any hit you take just feels like you know you're getting sort of doing. 50 rounds with Mohamed Duncan Ali. Ferguson's hit you. Equal <laughs> warrior, Duncan Ferguson. <laughs> that, that bit the other day, well, the earth's getting warmer, isn't it? Unbelievable. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> you know what you're talking about, really? I'm actually, just to, to throw a bit more sort of, of a daunting look on it, Joel, I've just seen that Liverpool have got, in February, Ever- Everton, Newcastle, Real Madrid... And then you've got United and then Real Madrid. Oh, my word. Looks yeah, tough. I'm, <laughs> Looks I'm tough not sure how it, how it gets better for me and Matt, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, <laughs> I don't think they're going to do any business in the transfer window before tomorrow. Um, yeah. It, it's just you're stuck with what you are. The, the thing is, these are players that in literally, what, like, what was that, seven, seven months ago, were two, 10 minutes away from winning four trophies. And it's mm. it's remarkable to see how far they decrease. But you're seeing that with, you know, as we're going to come on to, Milan has sort of dropped off and you know, won the league last season. PSG don't seem to be the same team as they were. You, you, you're seeing a lot of really good teams who were, were phenomenal last year, just not managed to, to see the uh, hit the same levels. And I think Liverpool's case is a lot worse. They, they've been a lot worse than those teams mentioned. But um, there's definitely something where you know, has the World Cup had an effect on these teams and, and, and on, more, on some teams more than others. And you know, I'm not sure what the answer to that is, but it definitely looks like there's some kind of pattern there for sure. Um, finally, on the FA Cup, I found out that Andy Carroll still plays football. Absolutely well. no idea until he <laughs> appears at Reading. <laughs> Blew my mind uh, and then got an absolutely ridiculous red card. Here's a quick stat for you, Podrig, for that big um, big Andy Carroll, often quite an aggressive player, a bit of a clumsy forward. How many red cards did he get in the Premier League? I can't imagine he got all that many, to be honest. And Yeah, like... Zero, zero. I can't remember him ever getting sent off. So he got two. 
Yeah. You got two red cards. Yeah, that's you, you know your stuff. I would have said way more. I picture him as sort of too many elbows, too many flailing arms, and red cards. Ah, that was back when the Premier League was the Premier League though, before <laughs> VAR. Now that VAR's here, he wouldn't get away with anything. Or doesn't get away with yeah. anything. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, back in back in the good old days of uh, Newcastle and Liverpool, of course, uh, of being being able to elbow players. Shearer was nasty for that. Shearer had some pointy old elbows on him. Uh, right, we'll move on for the FA Cup. And to Serie A, as Joel uh, alluded to before, uh, Podrick, you're a bit of a Serie A expert within within the one football ecosystem. Um, so what on earth is going on at AC Milan? Six games without a win, and they've conceded one more goal with every game they've played in the last five. So they conceded one, then two, then three, then four, then five this weekend to Sassuolo, um, which means they'll concede six to Inter Milan next weekend by the by the laws of football. Um, what is happening at the club? Um, yes, that is, that is a very good question. Uh, well, it's like Joel said, kind of at Liverpool, we mentioned that Liverpool and PSG and Milan as well, these teams struggling. Uh, definitely with Milan, there's not, it's not like one, um, one certain. I think there was a case like last season where they, because they won the league, they maybe got um, kind of elevated to, that status they probably hadn't quite is it I know they had won the league but they were probably one of the poorest champions um in Serie A for a long time definitely one of the weakest um, Milan teams in a long long time ever to win the league they kind of almost won it by circumstance and the others just dropped off and they kind of had a team that was ready like Zlatan came in I think he had a lot to do with it just like getting that kind of winning mentality in a younger group um this season I mean yeah, like the transfers really haven't been good. Um, that's probably the main one. They kind of had a chance to maybe build on position of strength and they spent $35 million on the Ketelari from uh, Belgium. That was supposed to be the marquee one and kind of talked about almost like being the new Kaká. Um, he's, he's just not done anything at all, really. Uh, you don't try to use him as a number 10, but he's kind of not played so well. So he's been in a team like Brahim Diaz has come in. And like that, that is a lot of money for me. That I think like Leeds outbid them and offered uh, offered them more money. But I think he chose Milan. Obviously, the choice between Leeds or the, the champions of Italy. He went with that one. Uh, yeah. So he he's the big one. Hasn't worked out. Origi from Liverpool. Maybe they could do with him at the moment. But uh, <laughs> even Milan, they're not getting a tune out of him. He's been injured a lot. He's not the only one. They've, they've had quite a lot of bad injuries this season. Um, Tamorian, Tonali, Leal as well, probably the best. He was the best player in Serie A last season. The three of those guys were probably the best, best three players last season. Um, and they've been really poor this season. But And I think really one of the, it sounds almost too simplistic to say it, but one of the big ones is just in goal. Um, Mike Magnan's been injured for quite a while. They came into January knowing he was injured. And they came into January knowing that if they bought well at the start of the month, namely a goalkeeper, like they really just needed a goalkeeper, even if it was just someone for six months, mm. a steady pair of hands, um, then that could have maybe maybe helped them out. But they've, they, well, they brought in a Colombian who's 24 um, and had like, played like 30 games in his career, just a really weird signing, didn't make much sense. Um, they've stuck with Tatarasanu and I mean, it's not all his fault, like Gabia in front of him, really poor. Hernandez hasn't looked great since coming back from the World Cup, but 
like Pascal Sarner. I don't want to lay all the blame on Stoke, but just he just he doesn't inspire you with confidence as a goalkeeper at all. You think any team, any time someone goes forward, they look like they're going to score, and Sassuolo did do that at the weekend. <laughs> any time they went forward, they did score. Um, it, I think they had seven shots in the game, and five of them ended up in goal. So, I mean, that's there's a list of a list of problems. So it wasn't not just one. Yeah. Reason, but yeah, it's it's a shame. Uh, a lot of problems, and they. I I think there's a real danger now that after winning the league last season, they probably won't even finish the top four this season, and that would be that would be that. Do you I know think, why this? Go on, sir. So I think I think there might be something that where I was just thinking that as Patrick was saying there, some of the points he he made that we we still talk about the the rest of the clubs that are sort of having trouble times. We had good seasons last season, whether. There's a, a mentality issue with, with them, not just a physical issue, because because of the World Cup break and how condensed this whole season's been. You know, Liverpool were back in action a month after playing the Champions League final, and I, I just wonder whether not just the the elements and the effects that has on them physically, but also how you sort of sort of separate one season from the other. It kind of feels like, I mean, me speaking as a fan. Um, it feels like this has been one continuation of one long season all the way through, and and the World Cup break hasn't really helped that, which of course it would have been. It just it just feels like it's just we're we're doing two seasons all in one here, and it's still continuing until the end of May. And I do think that maybe could be something that's applying to the players, and especially at Milan, where Milan has sort of been on this journey last year of winning Serie A after years of not winning it, and they built their momentum up, and it, it was maybe a little bit of a surprise, you know, not. Not completely, it wasn't like they're massive underdogs, but it was a bit of a surprise. And then managed to go on the run that they did and end up winning it. And then you sort of end that end of May, start of June, and you're back in action, start of August. And you're like, Pioli's got to get to them on day one and go, all right, we've got to try and win the league again now. And they're kind of like, is there a motivation issue there where they're just like, ah, but we've literally just won it. And like, we've not had that much time to celebrate and sort mm. of reel and applaud us to that I've got to go again and it's like as soon as you have your first couple of defeats or your first defeat you're like ah right we've just done this I'm not sure we can we can go again here and because we've not been able to separate it enough and I, I do wonder you know you get to the end of this season and I think this year you have a proper break in the summer and then maybe you see these teams start to sort of fight again next year and, but I do wonder whether this could be applied to Milan I just don't know whether they got the motivation, the mentality in the squad just to keep going again after the last year. I think the most distressing bit about this for me is you two are filling me with so much confidence for Tottenham going to AC Milan in the Champions League oh, in a few weeks. I thought you meant to win a league title or something. I was like, how do you figure? Yeah, You're I mean, filling me with so much confidence that when Spurs lose against AC Milan, I'm going to be guided all over again. Take it to the bank, Matt. Tottenham are <laughs> Champions League quarter-finalists. It's happening. <laughs> but the, the, just because the last thing probably on Milan is that even though they have struggled a lot this season, it's worth pointing out that they could have been a lot better, and they still might not even come close to winning the league this year because Napoli are just like a juggernaut. Too good, you just yeah. cannot stop them. Um, I mean, apart from the one little blip against Inter after the the World Cup break, and it's the only game they've lost. Even the even the teams around them, like they went to San Siro earlier in the season, beat Milan. Thrashed Juve 5-1. Then most recently, the goal Joe mentioned, the Ossiman goal, um, to go 1-0 up against Roma. Roma pegged them back quite late on, and you think, oh, Mourinho's come out with a nice little draw, and maybe it opens it up a little. And Napoli, five minutes to go, they get the winner. So even though Milan have struggled, it just doesn't look anyone was going to win the league this season. So doing it for Diego. So 
Yeah, yeah exactly. Argentina winning the World Cup and now Napoli taking the lead in Syria. Good God. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll stick with uh, we'll stick with Italian football though. A Monza's two 0 victory over Juventus. Um, Juventus now in thirteenth. Obviously, they had that fifteen point deduction. I think they're going to appeal it. Um, I can't imagine it sort of magically being added back on. Um, they're thirteenth in the minute, and Allegri said they are threatened by relegation. Joel, is that a little bit too negative to hear from your own manager? Like, what must the board and the fans be thinking? He's nine points yeah. clear of the drop zone, I think. It doesn't connote confidence, does it? No, it's um, it, it's pretty bizarre to, to hear him say. It. I mean, they they were terrible. I mean, they, they have been terrible in a few games. I mean, I watched them against Atalanta as well, and already get a point out of that game. I, I still think I don't think they're impressive at all, and, and I think. It, it, you know, to talk about motivation, then they they just had the you know a really good run that ended in the Napoli results, but they were building momentum and thinking we 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 could sneak the, the title, sneak back into the title race here and, and make it at least a little bit interesting towards the end. They go away for eight games without conceding, but you know they look like like we had sorted them out to be honest, and then they suffered that defeat and it's been wheels off from there. Obviously coinciding with the with the points deduction, and I just wonder whether now you're. Um, you know, Angel Di Maria, you know, your Chiesa, you're looking at the table and thinking, if we win, yeah, what, what, <laughs> where's it going to lead to? We're, gonna, we're probably going to finish ninth or 10th anyway. Like, you know, unless the deduction, the points get thrown back on, which is, as you say, it's unlikely, it's, um, the, the, the season's just filtered out into nothing. And I, and I do wonder, you know, you play against teams like Monza yesterday who are fighting for their lives. And as soon as that, you know, a team like that goes 1 0 up, they've got more to, to lose and more to gain. And if you're Juventus and you just sort of limbering into sort of Pikachu at the moment. You think, of, you know, what, what can we do here? What can we fight for? But it was bizarre to hear. Maybe that's what Allegri's trying to do, is trying to make them fear for their lives and they've got something to play for and, and, and fight for. But, yeah, that's it's a really weird situation there at the moment. And I think it's got to come to a head at some point and something drastic has to change because the event has been sleepwalking into a crisis for, like, it feels like five, six years now. And, it's got to come to a head that you know, something dramatic has to happen. And maybe that, that, that the well, point deduction has happened. They've been in Serie B before. It certainly has. Let's go on and go back and get the old band back together <laughs> if, if they go down. What's uh, Cameron Easy up to now? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, I, I do think yeah, old Maxi might, might be fearing for his job in the coming weeks mm. because it doesn't look too great there, does it? Um, last note on Serie A. Podrigo Crimone, is he ever going to win a match anytime soon? They seem to be coming close, but no. No, I mean they they went they won goal of the weekend probably. That was if nobody saw Ocaretti's goal. Oh, the bend on that one, unbelievable! <laughs> but yeah, they're uh, this season they're one of the, the, the poor of Syria, and it seems Syria has been bad for that in the last few years. There always seems to be that one, sometimes two. But like at least one really. I remember Benevento being yeah, awfully poor. They couldn't even pick up a point, and then their first ever point in Serie A was the two-two draw against Milan. Their goalkeeper scored. Their keeper, the yeah. I, I mean, if that's that's how you end up uh, a losing streak. That is the way to do it. Uh, but even then, it wasn't a win; it was just a draw. But so, Cremonese need to send their keeper up for corners, yeah, basically. That's, to that's that's right. Right. Of games just <laughs> I looked at their, um, it's them and Elche, the bottom of La Liga, the two teams in the top five flights, um, pretty much anywhere in Europe who haven't won a game this season. I couldn't 
honestly, props to their fans. We know fans love to complain about their team every so often, but go yeah, week in, week out to watch. Yeah. To watch zero wins. To be fair, Cremonese have actually got eight draws. They just need to get to one of them fair, over though, the line. Uh, Cremonese, they did knock Napoli out of the Coppa Italia oh. a few weeks ago. So, I mean, they might oh, get relegated, but pens. that could make up for it all. Uh, yeah, 2-2 draw and um, yeah, knocked them out on penalties and they scored all of their penalties. But they did not look like a team that night who hadn't won a game in the league and were struggling on confidence and were playing the team who demolish everyone. So... Yeah, maybe a nice little cup run. Make, make it, make up okay. Uh, so the Cremonese tactic is send your keeper up and win penalties. That's pre- <laughs> straight out of the Podrick Wheel and Booker tactics, that is. Before we move on to transfers, though, and all the all the fun of the transfer window closing within the next 36 hours or so, um, the last bit of footballing action from the weekend. Padre, can you talk us through how Jota managed to score for Celtic? Because I couldn't quite believe my eyes when I watched this this morning. Uh, yeah, how, how would you best describe it? Basically, the ball was on the the byline of the goal. It looked as if the ball was going out of play. He stuck his wonderful head of hair on it and uh, yeah, somehow managed to direct it back into the net. It, the video probably doesn't do it justice. You kind of almost yeah. have to see the still image from, from behind him and see all the work. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of when, um, is it Japan knocked out Germany at the World Cup and they're like, the guy crossed it in from pretty much beyond the line, like it looked yeah. out of play. It looked like that, but he scored. But he scored. But the guy, yeah. Honestly, Liverpool have got the wrong Jota. Yeah. <laughs> yes, your Jota could never jolt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. he's got to be on the pitch to do that well technically he doesn't have to be on the pitch to do that obviously (laughs) touche Matthew touche 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 right enough of the football chat well on the pitch football chat we'll do the off the pitch football chat we'll go for some transfers Um, I had lots of transfer stuff to talk talk about and I was looking at which order would make the most sense and then boom a bombazzo I think as, uh, as Podrig put it a huge transfer announcement this Sunday, lun- Sunday, Monday lunchtime, that João Cancelo is leaving Manchester City and heading to Bayern Munich. A loan deal with the option of £70 million. Um, what I find funny about that deal is that clearly at £70 million, they also think he's a good player, but not good enough. Joel, are Manchester City giving up on the title race by letting such a key player who can play in so many positions go at this point? That's a hell of a question, Matt, Matt. <laughs> I wouldn't go as far as saying the deal for the title race. Now, it, it's bizarre, and I think everyone who saw that and everyone who's listened to this would say it's bizarre because, you know, Cancelo was probably one of their players of the season last season, if not the player of the season for them. You know, he, you know, someone who can run games from playing from wing-back, he's, he's phenomenal. And it's even this season, he's still in the first team, stuck before the World Cup, and... It just seems to have slowly, actually, it's just it's very quickly sort of um, sort of deteriorated there. And I think there's a few reports saying that he's you know fallen out with Pep Guardiola, um, and and, and that's happened. And he, he obviously he's not been starting games recently because they brought in you know eighteen year old Rico Lewis to play right back, and then you know he's sort of happy with playing one of Nathan Ake or America Laporte at left back, and and you know obviously Guardiola's changed the approach of City recently, and it's sort of left. Cancelo's been the forgotten man a bit. He's obviously not getting games. I do wonder whether that's 
you know, the chicken or the egg, what's what started the, the fallout, you know what I mean? Whether it's been Castell not getting games or his performance has not been up to it. I, I'm not too sure, but it's it the 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 uh, validity of your question is that it's still someone to keep around. It's someone who's won league titles and also the City got a really thin squad. If if one of you know Rico Lewis, Kyle Walker get an injury, Cancelo is probably going to be needed. And obviously, you don't know whether they might do a bit of business between now and and, and the end of Tuesday. Um, you know, they don't seem to fancy Sergio Gomez at left back. He's the only other full back option there. So it does look like on paper they need to do something, and and, and that is a bit odd. And you know, it's you know Guardiola knows more about football than all of us put together, but it it does seem. A very bizarre thing to let him go and not have a replacement in in, in mind, but um, it's a hell of a hell of a chance here for Bayern. That's a bit of problem issue for a long time, and they probably go and got one of the best in that position for it. And you know, fair play to them, and fair play to uh, RB Leipzig because just ruined their title dream. Sadly, I feel. Nah, I, I'm yeah. glad he's gone to be honest because you cannot have a fullback wearing number seven. <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting <laughs> behaviour. Get him out, and that will solve the problem. It is an absolute no-no. I think for Bayern Munich, actually, they've never really been super keen on Pavard. Well, they have, but Pavard's not been super keen on staying. So it looks like that kind of solves that long-term. And also, I saw a really interesting uh, uh, report recently, well, recently in the last hour since that Jacques Cancelo news came out, That's about joining, gets, yeah, j- joining Joshua Kimmich in midfield as well. Um, really gives them a little bit of more of a, a versatile midfield uh, options aside from Neil Goretzka. So I think it could work for Bayern Munich. Uh, but yeah, for Manchester City, I find this one a little bit bizarre. Um, we mentioned very, very briefly Manchester City dipping into the window. Is there anyone off the top of your head, left back, they can go and spend big on? They've been linked to Rafael Guerrero from Borussia yeah. Dortmund in the past. Mm. And um, I've got a Dortmund fan in the office who brought to the attention he didn't start yesterday and then come on. And they're winning the Leverkusen, so maybe that's there's something in that. And there's Alex Grimaldo from Benfica, who I think has been linked to City in the past as well. But the thing is, you go into these clubs and asking to buy, you know, one of their left backs, and those clubs haven't got time to replace them. So whether they you know, yeah. left themselves a bit of a work to do there, but it'll be interesting. One to keep an eye on, isn't it? Take your pick. Scotland's got a whole country full. <laughs> we grow left backs. Take any of them. We grow left anyway. backs. That should be printed at the Scottish FA headquarters. <laughs> Just we grow left what backs. What depressing saying that would be. <laughs> yeah, we, don't, yeah. we don't qualify for World Cups, but we grow left backs. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, talking of right backs, actually, Pedro Porro to Tottenham. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? On, off, more talks. Daniel Levy's getting involved. Lord knows. Um, when the transfer window is slammed shut, as the saying goes, Podrick, is Pedro Porro going to be a Tottenham player? Oh, um, well, without any kind of knowledge of the situation, well, insider knowledge of the situation, mm. uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um yeah, although the fact that the player himself seems quite upset about it, that he was promised the move by the president of Sporting and then just kind of moved the goalposts and spurs and the, the rug's been taken out from under him, maybe he'll kick off enough of a fuss over the next day or so that Sporting just see it as um, not worth the, the risk of keeping an unhappy player. I mean, it looked as if they, they already had the, the replacement sorted as well. It looked like they were going to bring in um, Hector 
Bellerin from Barcelona, he was going to replace him. Uh, so I, I don't think it's as unlikely as maybe someone like Enzo going to Chelsea or something like that. I think it's a lot further down the line, but I mean, it just looks at this stage from, from everything that's being reported on at the moment, it seems like it's fairly dead in the water, unfortunately, Matt. But it's fine, you've got Matt Doherty, old legend. <laughs> I feel like Sporting may or may not be playing a little bit on the fact that he is so distraught because the more he pushes and the more he makes it obvious to Spurs that he wants to join the more Spurs will in turn be like, fine, we'll pay the extra. And I think Sporting know this. I, I, so you're saying I'm not, that he's going to be a Tottenham player? He'll be playing at least. Uh, 51% yes for me, 49% <laughs> no. I can't I can't put my heart into it any more than a, than a 2% difference, uh, unfortunately. You mentioned, line, so yeah. You know. yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> um, Enzo Fernandez, you just mentioned him there. Joel? Are Chelsea going to go big for him? The release clause is what Benfica are demanding, 120 million euros or, or something. Um, is is this one that you can see them doing? And is it even worth it at this stage? It's one I could see doing. I, 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 I'd be more surprised if he doesn't end up there now after what's been breaking the last couple of days about them going back in for him. You know, they, seem to, they seem to have got some encouragement from either the players' side or from Benfica that they, they didn't get that over the line. Whether it's worth it is another question, and I'm not quite sure it is at this moment. I, I do think he's a quality footballer and will go on to prove to be a quality footballer. And I, I do think maybe you know he'll have some success in the Premier League and, and stand out there well, but there's, there's still more doubt over him than, than I would say. There should be more doubt over him actually than there is because it's a player that has, has proven to be quality in the Champions League this season, but he's not played that much in Europe just yet. He's, you know, they, you know, come in the summer from, to Benfica and you know, from another place and it settled in very well. But you know, it's less than a season. I mean, it's less than 30 appearances in the Premier League. And you, you, you look at that and thinking maybe someone's jumping a gun on him. And, and, and maybe they're mm. doing it because they want to sort of nip the player before, you know, you, you say he does two more years of Benfica and Real Madrid coming in and then you're never getting them off Real Madrid hands, are you? But um, so they're maybe just trying to nip ahead. But you could be jumping a gun a bit too quickly, mm. you know. Whether he's, whether he's just having a bit of a purple patch or something, you know, he obviously has a good World Cup as well. But yeah, yeah, I'm not. Too, I think there's more risk in there to, to spend that kind of money on someone. I don't. Money doesn't seem to matter too much to Chelsea, but it's in terms of what you want from a player. You know, you're you're spending 100 million pounds on a footballer or 120 million euros on a footballer. You want them to be match winning, and I don't think he's a match winning player, is he? But you might you might yeah. help them in the long run, but uh, I'm I'm a bit cautious about that one for Chelsea. He can come to Liverpool though. Be yeah. <laughs> we'll take anyone. <laughs> Talking about jump the gun, I think you jumped the gun a little bit there with your stats saying he's right. played less than thirty games in the Premier League. <laughs> I think oh, yeah, you were talking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were talking about <laughs> Moises Caicedo. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like you knew that Caicedo was next on our list because he is. It's like a red um, agenda or something. <laughs> so it looks as though, yeah, it looks as though Arsenal may have to stump up to eighty million pounds, Podrick, to get him away from Brighton. If is this kind of the same question really? Is this a good deal? Is he is he worth that much, or is it just the case of they have to get him in now, um, otherwise someone else could buy him, or he could get even better in the future? That's one. That's one I'm a lot more confident on. That I don't think that will happen now this month. I think Brighton will 
made it clear, um, and like the, they've showed like a lot of their, their dealings with clubs, especially buying clubs. I mean, you saw the like the Cucurella uh, ones panned out in the summer with Man City and then with Chelsea. Um, if Brighton make their mind up that they're not going to sell, then I don't think they're going to sell. Um, yeah, so taking all that out of it, I just I think he'll still be at Brighton. Obviously, they told him that he's not welcome. Well, not well, he's not welcome, but to stay away from the club for the Liverpool game. They said to stay away from training on Monday and Tuesday and report back um, 1st of February when the window's done. All of the the um the Ferrari's kind of died down when he knows he won't get his move and he can just concentrate on playing football again. I mean, I think his side have probably handled it quite badly with uh, giving the statement or the interview on the Brighton website talking about how he was happy and committed and then changed his agents and then obviously they've told him to make a, a public uh, appeal for the club to let him go. Worked for Trossard. Uh, it's not working in this situation. <laughs> a very different situation. Um so yeah, I think um, his his camp probably haven't handled it that well. Brighton have handled it well. I think they want to keep their play. I think Arsenal have too. I mean, they've offered I think a more than reasonable uh, sort of sixty million. Apparently, was rejected for a guy who uh, doesn't even have a full season of Premier League football under his belt. I think Arsenal that was a more than fair offer, and um, yeah, I think they've got bigger fish to fry in the summer anyway with Declan Rice probably. There. Not that they couldn't sign both, and I think that was the talk at the weekend. Mm. Is that Caicedo wasn't um, wasn't a factor on what happened to Declan Rice, and they could end up with both, and maybe they will in the summer. But I, mean, I think Rice is probably the safer, smarter option anyway. Thanks to the team. So. On on a scale of one to ten, how plausible is it that Chelsea signed both Fernandez and Caicedo? Todd Bowley's Chelsea. <laughs> Eight, nine, five. eight, solid eight. They'll find a way. They'll find a way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Casually dropping an extra two hundred million on the final day of the transfer window. I wouldn't put it past him. Not at all. Um, talking of dropping big money, is that what Newcastle have done on Anthony Gordon? Uh, Joel, give us um, give us first your Liverpool opinion on Anthony Gordon. And then just your Liverpool hat off opinion on Anthony Gordon and whether or not he's actually worth forty five million and whether he's done Everton a bit dirty by refusing to go into training. I a Liverpool opinion needs a legend, and I'm to be honest, won't <laughs> mind a statue being built outside Anfield <laughs> for a lad who who's you know didn't turn up for training for three days when he when he needed the most. Um, and fair play to him, what a guy. Um, <laughs> I, Liverpool hat off. I don't really. I don't really. I've not really seen anything in him. Uh, to be honest with you, for for Newcastle to be spending forty five million on him, and, and Chelsea and Tottenham, you know, linked to him in the summer. And talk to talk about sixty million then. Um, I thought that was weird then. I, I thought okay, maybe we'll see something this season in him, and 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 we'll you know see what the fuss is about. But I don't think he he's shown anything. He, he's quick. Um, he's, he's definitely got pace, but I, I'm not seeing him being particularly good at passing. Particularly good, you know. In the final third, movements doesn't seem to be anything. But the thing is, for those three clubs mentioned there to be interested in the player and willing to put that kind of money down, they must see something that we we can't see. And we'll see over the next six months. Maybe we'll see some glimpses in him and go, okay, that makes more sense. But right now, that's one of the most bizarre transfers of the Premier League this season for me. For, for uh, you know, Everton are rubbing their hands there. They they you know, won the you know worst run clubs in the league and somehow they've managed to sell a horrendous footballer for a lot of money and come out the other side and fair play to him. 
Podrick's having a right laugh listening to this rant he's, in the he's, corner. He's, he's right. He's, he's right. I, I, yeah. And I don't even see where he fits in at Newcastle either. It's the weird one. Um, I guess maybe it means Joe Ellington goes back into midfield like permanently and he'll take a place out wide. But I mean, I would rather watch someone like Alan Sir Maximan all day long uh, than Anthony Gordon. Like, more end product as well. Yeah, that's a curious one too. I have to think Gordon's a bit of an odd one. I can't help but think it's like a firstly like an, an English thing, like a, an English player is worth a lot more. Obviously, it counts towards the English yeah, um, quota in your squad. Get a bit of premium on him, and obviously, just like an asset for the next few years. Like if he comes good, they can sell him for more. I don't know. I, I feel like Newcastle have got a lot of transfer business right since their takeover a year and a bit yeah. ago. And, you know, they've, they've made some really good signings that haven't necessarily been the best. And this it seems to be their first foray into the market of, ooh, something shiny. You know, not all that glitters is gold. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, yeah. It, it really is absolutely bizarre one for me. So that is everything for today. Thank you so much to Joel and Podrig for, for joining me. This has been quite a good laugh. Not that I expected any different with you two on. Um, of course, you could all get involved as well by tweeting us uh, and emailing us. The email is podcast at onefootball.com. The Twitter handle is at onefootball. Uh, from all of us, though, that is it for now. We'll be back later on in the week, no doubt, discussing all the fallout from the last day of the transfer window. Looking forward to the games at the weekend, all sorts of footballing stuff coming up. Uh, so thank you for listening, and until next time, we'll see you guys later. Thank you.